So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John's Gospel, John chapter 10. We, are, we regularly work our way through books of the Bible. Um, that's just one of our commitments that God has given us His Word in both book form, but also in books form. And so uh, we take Him at His wisdom and work our way through books of the Bible. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 18. We're going to look at a number of verses past that, but just for time's sake, so if you've got your Bible, keep it open. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But... He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before him, them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Would you pray with me again and ask God's blessing on his word preached? Lord Jesus, we want to hear your voice. And so by your word and your spirit, come and speak to us with the power of the resurrection. For we ask this in your name. Amen. Who will come rescue me? It's a haunting question. I think most of us probably don't want to stay there too often because when we're there asking that question, who will rescue me, is in our most vulnerable moments when you realize you can't take care of your life anymore. Job loss, financial ruin, family troubles health problems, the list goes on. We don't like to stay in the moments where we need to ask those questions because we feel so vulnerable. Who will rescue me? 
And I was struck this week at that how our favorite titles for Jesus reveal our view of him. Most of us will latch on to a particular title for Jesus. I like to just call him Jesus because there's a familiarity and intimacy with that, calling him by his first name, but a closeness and also a little bit of informality. And what made me think of this is reading the generations that have gone before us, most of them referred to him as our Lord. It's Paul's favorite title for Jesus. In fact, sometimes he calls him our Lord. Sometimes it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's just the Lord because Lord, while formal, carries the sense of rule and authority, of ruling power. It's a a title that conveys the idea that he is the current ruler, the Lord. And Jesus, and throughout John's gospel, because not one title will do for him throughout John's gospel. He gives us seven, seven different titles, seven different I am statements. And here in John chapter 10, we pick up one of those. I am the good shepherd. Now, if you've been around the church for any time, you're sort of familiar with this title of a a shepherd. You've probably heard sermons, in fact, that focused on just how stupid sheep are. But they're really not stupid as much as they're just simple. Sheep are, in times, in fact, quite ingenious. They can pop out of the mother's womb and start feeding themselves without anyone teaching them. The, the fact of the sheep is not so much that they're stupid, is that they're simple. And it's their simpleness that makes them vulnerable. The simplicity at times make them stubborn. But the flip side of that is that sheep are also quite trusting animals. And this is where Jesus is condemning the Pharisees. He's condemning them because the sheep have entrusted themselves, the sheep God's people have entrusted themselves to the Pharisees' care, and they have treated them poorly. They've entrusted because they're simple and they're vulnerable. And our vulnerability is not a defect. It's a built-in feature. It's what makes us connect to God We were created to be needy. Most of our lives are spent trying to escape that need, but it is a fundamental part of what it means to be an image bearer of God. We have been created to be dependent creatures, needy people. In our pride, we try to cover our vulnerability with all kinds of different things. And what we find is that often life breaks in and we see that we're just not that good at taking care of ourselves. And so we need a shepherd to care for us in our vulnerabilities. Sheep are vulnerable. And this is why so often God, throughout his word, refers to his people as his sheep. We saw it in Ezekiel 34. We'll see it in Isaiah 40. You're familiar with it. If you're familiar at all with the Bible in Psalm 23. And sheep are vulnerable in at least two key ways that I think map onto who we are pretty well. The first way that sheep are simple and therefore vulnerable is that they tend to wander. Sheep don't have within themselves a very good 
internal compass. Just a few years ago, 1,500 sheep wandered off a cliff in Turkey. The first one just wandered off, and then the next one followed it, and 1,500 sheep later, there was a pile at the end of a cliff that killed many of them. In fact, the last few hundred didn't die because the pile had grown so big with fluffy sheep that it spared the last few hundred sheep. They don't have a very good, we don't have a very good internal compass. Sheep wander because we need a shepherd who will watch out for us and keep us close because left to ourselves, we will wander off and off, not just out, but off the cliffs of sin and pride and unbelief. Secondly, sheep are defenseless. I mean, think about this. They have, they have no good teeth. They have no fangs. They have no claws. And if you look at a sheep, children, you'll notice this. They're actually, they seem to be poorly designed animals. Big, fluffy bodies, little stick legs. They can't defend themselves. They can't even run off when attacked. Now, this may be one of the best um, rebuttals of pure evolutionary theory. Like, sheep aren't something that uh, you would think that you would evolve away from a sheep, not towards a sheep. Now, God in his, his wisdom has designed sheep to be reflective of a creator who wants to illustrate his intentions to care for sheep who are rather defenseless. It's as if he's saying to us, I've created you to be vulnerable. A vulnerable animal that needs to be taken care of. And I will take care of you. See, a shepherd in the ancient Near East isn't like the pictures that you see of Jesus holding a little lamb. You know, it's like he's wearing a choir robe and he's got this sweet little lamb here and long flowing hair. And i got to be honest with you, when I look at that picture, I think, that's not the shepherd I need. Right? That, that shepherd is, is, is lame, he's, he's tepid, he's, he's kind of weak. But you see, a shepherd in the ancient Near East, where Jesus is picking up this metaphor, a shepherd in the ancient Near East were more like a warrior, a king who would fight and protect his sheep. In the ancient Near East, there were predators, bears and wolves, like Jesus mentions here. Lions that would look out for an opportunity to grab hold of one of the sheep. They're easy targets because they are simple and vulnerable. There are stories of predators breaking into sheep pens and leaving so much carnage. There, There would be blood everywhere, like someone had broken in and slaughtered all of the sheep. And it's not uncommon because they're simple and vulnerable animals to just have the sheep watch while another sheep is being slaughtered. It's almost as if they're waiting their turn. And because of the vast number of predators that would seek to take these vulnerable animals to be their own, a shepherd needed to be a warrior. In fact, David, when, when, when he's faced with Goliath, his argument is, look, I have killed lions and bears, and God has helped me as I've protected my sheep. Therefore, this guy ain't no match for what God can do. Shepherds, they fought off with all of their power and might, fought for their sheep, so a shepherd needs to be a warrior. 
cares for his sheep. Now listen from Isaiah chapter 40, how God marries these two together. The mighty arm of God and his tender care for his sheep. That's what we need in a shepherd. Isaiah 40 verse 10. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He is a tender warrior as a shepherd. So twice Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. But Jesus actually mixes metaphors here. In the first paragraph, in the beginning of the second paragraph, he refers to the sheepfold, or what you might have heard called the sheep pen. This would either be a corner of the village or an area out in the desert. It would have been about four feet tall, made with rocks and mud and square in shape with sticks on the top of it to sharp sticks to deter animals. It would have been the place that the shepherd herded his sheep into at night to keep them safe. There would be an inside of the sheep pen and an outside of the sheep pen. And here Jesus refers to the sheep pen, but he says, now this is where he mixes metaphors. In verse 7 he says, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep pen. And what he's doing is he's differentiating his people. There are those who are on the outside of my sheep pen and those who are on the inside. And the inside is my flock. The outside is dangerous and scary where no one is there to defend them. But on the inside of my sheep pen are those that I take care of. And if you're going to enter my sheep pen, you have to go through the gate of the sheep pen and I am the gate. Not everyone belongs to the flock of Jesus, only those who have entered through him. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If you don't enter God's flock by the door of Jesus, then you are not one of his sheep. See, just not everyone has a good shepherd. We come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is just this beautiful me- metaphor for what it means to be a belonging to Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You've entrusted yourself to his care inside of his sheep pen. You've claimed him. You're, I need a shepherd because I'm vulnerable. You're my shepherd. I've attached myself to you. I've, I've entrusted myself to your care, which is the way John uses faith. Most of the time, believing most of the time in his gospel, it's a verb in his gospel, mean to mean and trust. I've entrusted, I've put myself, I've entered by you, Jesus. I'm inside of your fold. You're my shepherd now. Those who have entered through him, he is the good shepherd and he gives his vulnerable sheep at least five things that I want to mention today. Five things that Jesus, five things that he gives his sheep as the good shepherd. First, and these five things, if you're taking notes, flourishing, familiarity, intimacy, safety, and security. Flourishing, familiarity, 
intimacy, safety, and security. I tried to come up with some catchy phrase, but I'm not that creative. First, flourishing. These sheep, the ones who belong to Jesus, flourish under the care of Jesus. And the way he says this is, they go in and out and find pasture in verse 9. And then he reiterates that in verse 10. The thief comes in to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. They're going in and out. They, they are not just you know sheep who, uh, who are not being cared for. They go in and out and find pasture and have an abundant life. Listen to one commentator says it this way. The image here is a flock of sheep in a threatening desert. This is the ancient Near East. This isn't the hills of Tennessee. Food and water are scarce. Predators are everywhere. They know the sheep are vulnerable. Jesus' image is that of well-fed sheep whose shepherd knows how to lead them to pasture and water them daily and who at night gives them safe rest in the sturdy walls of his sheepfold. These are sheep that flourish and are content thanks to the skills of the shepherd. They flourish because there's familiarity. His sheep hear his voice. Verse 15. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. See, in the ancient world, she and currently today, actually, sheep and shepherd would form such an intimate bond that the sheep would respond to the particular nuances of their shepherd. And so you can combine flocks together in a sheep pen, and the shepherd can call out his sheep just using his voice. Only his sheep will come out. And you can Google this on and watch it on YouTube. A, a shepherd would use particular phrases or words or sounds. And you could say the exact same things to his sheep and they will just keep eating. But when they hear his voice saying the exact same words, they would respond to his voice. Because there's a familiarity. And there's a familiarity is what becoming a sheep of Jesus looks like. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives his sheep ears to hear his voice so that when the gospel is proclaimed, it's Jesus' voice that the sheep hear. And if you are a sheep of Jesus, you've had these experiences in your life. It's as if he is speaking straight to you. At one point in your life, the gospel was just empty Words. Then it became alive. It cut into your heart and at the same time gave you joy. And it's as if you thought to yourself, it's as if God speak to me tonight, spoke to me tonight directly. Because he gave you ears to hear it was. It was Jesus calling out to you, come be my sheep. And if you're a sheep of Jesus, as you even listen to his words on Sundays, you feel this. You know, one of the worst things that you can say to a preacher is that was a good sermon. Well, I can construct a good sermon, maybe sometimes. Occasionally, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut. Occasionally, I can construct a good sermon. It's not what we want to hear. What we want to hear is, Jesus spoke to me today. 
And when he speaks to you, it's as if it was just what you needed to hear at just that moment. And at times, because there's such intimacy, as we'll see in a second, you didn't even know that you needed to hear that from God's word. But you hear the voice of Jesus and it cuts and confronts and gives joy and hope and peace at the same time. And it's happening because you're one of his sheep and you hear his voice. And it's happening because three, there's intimacy. There's an intimacy between the good shepherd and his sheep. I am, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. And this is profound. When Jesus has to reach for a metaphor to describe the kind of intimacy, he's like, I want to illustrate this to you. Let me illustrate to you the kind of intimacy that you and I have, that I have with you. The only place that he can go is to his father. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. The only relationship that will do for him to describe the way that he knows you, his sheep, is to say, just like the father knows me and I know the father. And to make this clear, in verse 30, he says... I and the Father are one. The knowing is also a sharing of of intimacy. I mean, the Father and the Son know each other because there's a sharing of being. They are one God. Two different persons, but they share a being. There's an intimacy that's grounded in sharing. And Jesus' knowledge of his sheep is such an intimate sharing of being because he takes up residence in us by his Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is described as the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. It's described as Christ in me. And you see what David can say in Psalm 139? You search me, O Lord, and you know me. That's scary. To be known in that kind of way. With all the hidden recesses of my heart to know me better than I know myself so that you can speak so clearly to pains and sorrows that I didn't even know I was feeling with a word that is exactly what I need in the moment. To know me that intimately is scary. Unless he is one with that information knows how to care for you. And so David says, you search me and you know me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And because we're so vulnerable, we need someone who knows us better than ourselves and with whom that knowledge is safe. And so, number four, the good shepherd provides safety because he lays down his life for his sheep. He goes before them, verse 4. Now, if you Google shepherding today, you can find shepherds shepherding their sheep, and it's some pretty amazing stuff. But today they use, oftentimes use dogs, and the shepherd will whistle, and the dogs will move the sheep around the field. It's, it is, again, it's pretty amazing stuff, but they shepherd from behind. They drive the sheep. But Jesus says this, I go before the sheep. He's the first one who enters into danger. He blazes the trail to make sure that they are safe and that the route that they're going to travel is adequate for them. And how does he do this? It's a reference to his death on the cross. Verse 11. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, in the Hebrew world, they didn't have, you know, uh, highlighters or bold print. So if you really wanted to emphasize something, you'd say it twice. And so Jesus says in verse 1 and verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, that's a way of sort of putting in bold print. But if he said something three times, it was like all caps. Pay attention to this. Verse 11. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Verse 15, I lay my life down for the sheep. Verse 15 again, I lay my life down for the sheep. And you see that small word for, it's loaded with meaning. In English, we use it different ways. You might say, I'm here for you, which means I'm available. I'm on your side. But in Greek, particularly in John's gospel, when referencing the death of Jesus, it's the language of substitute of sacrifice. I lay my life down for my sheep as their substitute, as the sacrifice for their sins, for my sheep. He goes first before his sheep into the dangerous ground of God's judgment. And he fights the battle of God's wrath, bearing the wrath for our sin so that those who trust in him pass through death and judgment and come by safely. Vulnerable sheep being cared for by the sacrifice for another. And lest we think this is something that has just happened to him, this is the planning of the Father. Verse 18, this charge I have received from the Father. And he does this willingly. Lest we think of him as just an innocent victim that this happens to. This is the third, by the end of this, it's the third time that they pick up stones to kill Jesus. He also goes scot-free until it's his time to lay down his life for his sheep on the cross. And so, verse 18, I have authority to lay my life down. I have authority to take it up again. No one can defeat the good shepherd. He's not a victim He's a conqueror. And his death on the cross was his victory over sin, Satan, and death for his sheep. Which leads to our last one, verse 5, or number 5. Security. The good shepherd will not lose any of his sheep. The good shepherd will not go through the hell of the cross bearing our judgment only to lose us afterwards. If he can conquer our unbelief, giving us ears to hear, if he can bear our wrath on the cross, if he can lay his life down, take it up again for his sheep, he's not going to lose us afterwards. You may lose your grasp on Jesus The devil may make you so aware of sin and the hopelessness of this world that you despair, maybe even of life, so that you lose all hope. But the good shepherd will not let you become victims. And for this, we have to go to verse 27. Now we're outside of our passage. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father 
who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch. No one has that word able. It's power. No one has the power, the ability to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Listen to what Calvin says here. This is just beautiful. For since the power of God is invincible, Christ infers that the salvation of believers is not exposed to the ungovernable passions of their enemies because ere they perish, God must be overcome who has taken them under the protection of his hand. The end today, we're going to sing. We're going to come to the table and the good shepherd's going to feed his sheep on his cross. It's going to be good nourishment for us. And then at the end, we're going to sing this. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him with such a cost, he will hold me fast. It's good news for vulnerable sinners like us. Let's pray. Lord, as we come... To your table, it is with this assurance that you will feed, protect, and provide for your sheep. You know what we need, and so meet us in our vulnerabilities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.